This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 85 of the DTV Digest. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me this week, as usual, it's Richard Halls. Hello everybody. And this week we're looking at a bunch of films that star the great man himself, Scott Atkins. We're going to be kicking off with Triple Threat. Uh, also looking at the sci-fi thriller uh, Incoming. Then we're going to take a look back at one of his, not exactly early films, but sort of mid-level films, El Gringo, in our um, throwback section. And we're going to round off with his latest release, the gritty violent thriller that is Avengement. We've also got our usual washing up section and the coming soons. But before we get to all of that, it's over to Rich with the DTV chart. Yes, it's DTV chart time. Uh, this is uh, our chart derived from the official charts top 100, where we look for what are the DTV releases in therein. Uh, we found 11 in this week's uh, latest chart. This is the chart that was published on the 23rd of June. I'm uh, going to kick right off with a film we reviewed uh, a few episodes back. At number 11, it's Replicas. Yay, bit of Keanu Reeves acting like a nutter. Yeah, Keanu's very popular at the moment, isn't he, in the wake of John Wick? Yes. There's also that, uh, he's in a film on Netflix as well called Always Be My Maybe, Always Be My Maybe, which is like a oh. Chinese co-production, I believe, sort of comedy. Is he really? Yeah. How extraordinary. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I know he's got like a destination wedding thing that was in the cinemas recently, right, and, yeah. uh, and what's the other? Oh, yeah, Toy Story 4. Has come out recently with him playing uh, one of the one of the new characters and stuff. So yeah, he's all over the place. <laughs> but uh, yeah, replicas still doing very well. Uh, mad as a bag of you know box of frogs or whatever this uh, sci-fi film is. But we had a lot of fun with him. That the yes. ending, the ending alone is just bizarre. <laughs> but um, on to number uh, number ten, a massive hit this year. It's it's uh, as of uh, this recording, it's seventeenth week in the chart. It's the haunting of Borley Rectory. Yeah, we reviewed this a couple of episodes ago now. Um, you know, for all its faults, it's still quite enjoyable. Um, and considering it only cost £15,000 to make, uh, I, I think they did a, a phenomenal job with it. Excellent return on investment, I'd say. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, at number nine, it, it was number one a couple of weeks ago. It's the latest uh, DC animation release. It's Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I haven't checked this out yet, but I did like the trailer and I did like what you know what they've done with the um, the two franchises. At number eight, it's uh, I think this is a new release this week. It's a French film, I think. It's called it's well, it's been released over here as Fifteen Minutes of War. Yes, this is the one with um, Olga Kurylenko. Olga Kurylenko. I was going through my head. Asia Argento? No, it's not her. It's, it's her. <laughs> Yes, Olga Kurienko. Um I've got this to watch at some point. Um, yeah, it's the sort of thing fr uh, France does pretty well. You know, this 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 kind of war film. It was, it was originally called L'Intervention, hmm. uh, which I guess means the intervention. The intervention. Hmm. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, who else? Who else is uh, headlined on the cover? Let me have a quick look. It is. Uh, oh yeah, a French actor, Al Alban Lenoir. Uh, it's, it's, uh, and it's an unbelievable true story. I think it's like a hostage situation on a bus kind of thing. Sure. Uh, at number seven, uh, still doing very well, is the Gerard Butler release, The Vanishing. Still haven't seen this. Ugh, it's been one of those weeks. 
Uh, really looking forward to seeing it at some point. Gerald Butler in a lighthouse. Mm. <laughs> it, it looks better than uh, the new Angel film. Uh, was it the new Has Fallen film, Angel Has Fallen? Oh, I'm definitely so. going to watch that anyway. <laughs> that looks rubbish though. <laughs> it just compared to everything else that we're seeing at the moment, just yeah. uh, that, that just it's it looks like a DTV movie, like the worst, the, worst, the sort of more bland kind of DTV movies. So, um, but this I, is like high polished as uh, as comparison. Yeah, but I, I went to see Hunter Killer at the cinema, so there you go. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> I understand. I, I've seen clips of that, and uh, it it's just does not it look. Looks. It's better than it looks. Is it? <laughs> but it is very sort of disjointed. Anyway, uh, number, <laughs> uh, number six, we've got uh, another new release. It's a horror film. It was originally supposed to come out back in January, I think it was, and it got bumped. Uh, I think it was even bumped pr- prior to that. But uh, finally, it's here, and it's called The Nursery. Did we check out the trailer for this the other week? I uh, don't think we do. I think we'll talk about it in the washing up, but we haven't uh, okay. we haven't actually looked at it as far as I'm aware. But uh, I did look to see if it had any like alternate titles or anything, and I don't think so. I think it's pretty much uh, a standard release. The cover art is quite striking. It's uh, an amalgam of two other posters that were in previous existence, so it's not any kind of misrepresentative thing. I think it's uh, it's your usual haunted house child kind of situation from what I get. Moving into the top five, uh, another film that's been doing incredibly well, The Guard of Auschwitz at number five. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know anything about this one. Um, I, I checked out a well, kind of sequel earlier, which we'll talk about in the washing up later. Okay. Uh, the uh, the next film is uh, the previous uh, week's number one. It's the British gangster movie Once Upon a Time in London at number four. Yeah, I kind of enjoyed this, but it does sort of get quite episodic, and you know, there's a lot of sort of toing and froing. It's almost like spy versus spy, you know. It's like, well, one gang does something nasty to the other gang, so they retaliate, and then they uh-huh. retaliate, and then they retaliate, you know. And that's tip for tat. Yeah, exactly. That's basically it. Mm-hmm. Okay, at number three is the western The Kid, the directorial debut of Vincent D'Onofrio. Hmm. This does look very good again. Just haven't had a chance to look at it, but um, the trailer looks great. I think it's got a nice cinematic look to it, and it's got a great cast. And number two, another new release, and it does amuse me somewhat to say that this uh, charted just one place ahead of the Meg with Jason Statham. Is it's it Megalodon. Me- it's Megalodon <laughs> with Michael Madsen. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, the so, two are so, sitting side by side. Well, this one's just ahead of it. Yes. Awesome. Uh, I think possibly by mistake. I don't know. <laughs> but I did, I did get a little bit of a kick about that. Um, we'll talk about, you know, we'll talk about this sort of thing again in the washing up. Um, you know, um, the way the asylum and other companies sort of use a, a known product to try and sort of piggyback or sort of cuckoo effect almost, isn't it? You know, it's like, hopefully, if you're not paying too much attention, you might pick this one up by mistake. And what is the number one, I hear you ask? Well, it's the film we're going to be talking about very, very soon. Uh, You'll have to wait a few minutes longer. It's Triple Threat. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. What position is it actually? Uh, It's number 20 out of the top 100. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's done done very well. Uh, Interesting, Megalodon was only nine places lower. So that charted at number 29, which is a lot higher than I would have expected. Indeed. But again, you know, it could be that sort of association thing, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, Triple Threat's got um, it's been put out by uh, Universal, so it's got it's got that higher quality sort of sheen and push, I think, to it in the marketplace. Yeah. So I think it, it's got that great artwork that's catching the attention, and uh, yeah, it's, it couldn't be better news, really. It's interesting that it's by Universal as well, because it may, you know, you think we're going to get this sort of Universal DTV knockoff or sequel? <laughs> Who are they going to hand it off to to do the Triple Threat Two? Is well, I mean, considering the, the the original film is a DTV movie, is it, uh, that um, it could it could essentially be exactly the same team as made oh, the first one, could, but, but the, not in the way that that Universal worked. Yeah, they'd probably hand it off to Roll Rain, Roll Rain or, or Don Michael Paul or mm-hmm. something, and and, it, and then it would it would lose a bit of the quality. We'll go on and talk about the film in a little while, but um, yeah. but yeah, I mean the. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very you know you know high uh, eye catching artwork and stuff to yeah. talk about it from that aspect. You know, it's it's got people's attention, so it's not it's not just the fans who are picking it up. It's clearly got a, a lot of attractive uh, qualities in, in like the supermarkets and stuff. Yeah. So brilliant news, I and, think. And a great way to start the show as well. You know, sort of uh, being able to announce the you know uh, one of Scott Atkins' latest films. You know, hitting the number one in the DTV chart. Great stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. It's time for the coming soon section, and this week we've got four trailers to look at. Um, bit of a mixed bag, I think, these are, but two of them are real standouts for different reasons. We're going to kick off with um, the latest American adaptation of a French movie called Point Blank. Now, this uh, was originally a French film that came out in 2010. Um, a really, really solid film. Have you seen it, Rich? The original? I, I have. I, it's one of my favourites. I love it. Yeah, it's a really good film. I don't know if you're aware, but it was remade in Korea in 2014 as The Target. Yeah, you to- I think you've told me about it before, but I haven't managed to get track it down yet. But It's, it's but. a very faithful uh, retelling of it, um, and, and you know it works gangbusters as well. I think it's really good. Now, see, um, I'm watching the trailer for this, and I'm thinking, this is a completely different movie. I think they've, yeah. Um, if anyone's seen uh, Sleepless, starring Jamie Foxx, mm-hmm. Uh, which is a remake of an earlier film called Sleepless Night, starring um, Thomas Isley, a really good French actor. Um, and they sort of take some big liberties with the plotting in that one to sort of make, you know, the main character a good guy when, when originally he was sort of shades of grey. Um, so I'm I'm hedging my bets that I reckon, you know, they're playing around with it a little bit, adding a bit more action to it, that sort of thing. Um there is one this one. This one's like buddy comedy. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I, th- I think that was it in the in the um, the original versions. So once he actually gets, you know, okay. So let's do the setup first. So there's a ER doctor who his wife is kidnapped and he's told that he's got to help get this gunshot victim out of the hospital from under the noses of some uh, very dodgy um, cops, uh, and he, you know he manages to do that, but. In the original version, I'm pretty sure there wasn't much interaction between him and the gunshot victim, really. Yeah, I can't remember. I I know they kind of cross paths, and mm. it's all it's all very reluctant. Uh, yeah. They don't get on very well. Whereas in this one, it's kind of it's got that playful playful buddy banter exactly. go, going on, and it's it just they're very different 
characters. I mean, the first film's pretty humorous, uh, yes. really. And the, 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 the bad very guy. Lean. Very, very lean. Just it's, a, it's about an hour and 15 minutes long. Yeah. It's, it's a breakneck pace. Uh, Gilles uh, Lelouch, uh, the lead actor's fantastic, you know, uh, character. Mm. Uh, and, you know, fantastic actor. Uh, and Rashadi Zem as the, the, the bad guy, the sort of anti-hero of, of the, of the pair. In, it, it just worked really well. And this one, yes, you, you kind of got the action quality. Joe Lynch is directing, so there's a bit of, you know, mm. energy and oomph in it. And, uh, you know, Frank Grillo is there. So you, you know, you, you know, you're going to get me, you know, good quality action yeah. from him. And, uh, uh, what was it? Um, who's the other? Anthony, Anthony Mackie, Mackie isn't yeah. he? Yeah, so the the pair of them together, you know, they're both from the Marvel Universe, but they, this is like the first time they've sort of headlined something together. Yeah. And this I think is overall, big... I think overall, I mean, and, and considering this is going to be straight, straight on Netflix, mm. um, I think it's going to be worth watching, that's for sure, and it's probably going to be hella entertaining. But, you know, as an adaptation of another film... I think there's going to be a lot of liberties taken um, to try and sort of fit it into sort of a more, you know, uh, traditional sort of American sort of marketplace. Mm. But anyway, yeah, so that's coming on Netflix at some point. Um, it looks pretty decent. Very uh, soon. Uh, the trailer only dropped uh, very recently, and I think it's like out uh, possibly by the time you hear this. <laughs> it might even be on. Oh, we'll have to look, for it, look out for it. Okay, so the next one we're looking at is called Killer Man. Uh, this stars Liam Hensworth, uh, younger brother of Chris, of course. Um, in this one, he is, uh, well, we're not quite sure what he is to begin with, but he um, suffers uh, a case of amnesia and uh, has to try and sort of put his life back together while various people are trying to sort of tell him who he was and what he was up to. Uh, various people want sort of various bits of information from him or goods. Um, it looks pretty violent. Which I'm all for. Um, yeah, I, I'm reasonably on board for this one. I must admit. Yeah, so he's like he's like very much painted as the bad guy uh, or a bad guy. It mm. should say he's like a gangster kind of character, money laundering. I think is what they yeah, said he's involved right, in. Yeah. And um, it's that whole born identity kind of thing of you know once the if, if the bad guy sort of uh, has his mind wiped and then he kind of becomes the good guy. But he could become the bad guy any second, kind of mm. thing. And uh, how much can you trust him, and all this sort of stuff? And is he, what, is it a, uh, a chance for redemption and stuff like that? So it's all, you know, this whole amnesia crime thriller thing is something we've seen a lot of before. But Just I think the trailer, <laughs> <laughs> I think the trailer had quite a lot of uh, energy about it. Again, I don't use that word quite a lot, but the um, the music choice in the trailer was called sort of, I don't know, it's like a technology kind of thing, yeah, whatever right. they were going for. Yeah. But that's all. The title's unusual, Killer Man. You know, it's mm. almost like a superhero kind of thing. It's a very weird title. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not massively sold on Liam Hemsworth. I've only seen a couple of things that he's been in. For example, Expendables Two. I think it was. Independence Day Two. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I can take the take or leave this one. To be honest. Yeah, if it comes up. Okay, so now we're talking about our first horror movie uh, of this week. It's called Trespassers. In this one, we have a bunch of people who've hired out a very swanky-looking holiday home complete with infinity pool um, and long, long, long driveway. Um, and in the midst of this, a woman turns up claiming she's, her car's broken down, but it turns out she's just a mole sort of sent ahead to um, 
find out how many people are in the house, etc., etc., so that other sort of home invaders can invade the place. Um, yeah, it looks looks pretty tidy this one, Rich. It's uh, it's got a bit of sheen to it, you know. Um, I think it's the trailer itself was edited a bit too much when when things started to get a bit grisly. So you know you can't really sort of tell what's going on. Just a lot of screaming, lots of flashing noises, uh, sort of flashing lights, that sort of thing. But I think it's got legs. Yeah, I haven't seen the purge, but that was what I thought of. A little bit, you know, yeah. So the, um... you know that sort of thing, just so so they get fixed in. Because I thought they, were, I couldn't tell what the concept was at first, whether they were renting the flat. Because I thought, oh, it it sounded like it might be more interesting if if they broken into someone's mm. house to yeah. to to enjoy, you know, what what they've got in their house and that for the weekend or, or whatever, and then basically they get punished for it. It could be that. It could be that. But I wasn't. Yeah. They they still. It didn't see. I think what you how you've described it kind of makes more sense because the, the what they were um they they were quite they relaxed. Relaxed, exactly. They were pretty relaxed. Yeah. yeah so there didn't seem to be any sort of uh, issues there. Uh, Feruza Balk is the lady who turns up, uh, the mysterious uh, visitor, and uh, people might remember her from stuff like The Craft and um, going way back to Return to Oz, where she oh, uh, appeared. Yeah. Here, first of all, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting to see her in a film in, in a movie. I mean, sure, I'm sure she's been doing various bits over the years, but you know, you don't see her very often, so it's quite nice to see her again. Yeah, home invasion horror kind of thing. Um, I'm going to use this sort of a little bit of a segue uh, to talk about Scott Adkins again. There's a film I think he made called Home Invasion, isn't there? Indeed, yes, that's pretty. I, I quite enjoyed that one actually. Yeah, it's he, uh, he's the lead of um, sort of the bad guys in that one. Oh, I see. Yeah, because I, I know it's on Netflix. So I haven't had a chance to catch up with it yet, but that's like Jason Patrick and Natasha Henstridge, I think, also mm. in that one. Yeah, that's quite good. Good cast. Anyway, so, um, okay. yeah, Trespassers. What's next? So next we have a film called Ready or Not. Yes, 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 yes. Please, I have to see this film. This looks <laughs> amazing. Um, so this stars Samara Weaving, who mm-hmm. we've seen recently in The Babysitter and I think we watched her in something else as well but uh, she's you oh, know Mayhem Mayhem of yeah. course yeah. yeah so she's getting quite a profile uh, this one's actually being put out by Fox Searchlight so this might actually get a cinema release I'm not sure but uh, it's got a, this is very glossy so, so I wouldn't be surprised this has got a bit of a vibe of um, your next to it um, okay as, as well as um, you know sort of other Films, uh, what am I thinking of? You know, the um, the greatest game kind of thing. Yes, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Hard know. target, most dangerous exactly. game. Exactly, it's that, it's that sort yeah. of thing. So in this one, um, Samara Weaving has just married her um, fiance, just married into a really, really wealthy family. Um, and on their wedding night, she's told that she has to play a game. Um, and it turns out she has to play hide and seek, but it has deadly consequences. Uh, so she's running all over this sort of giant house uh, trying to evade uh, members of this family who are just, you know, out to get her, basically. It looks fantastic. It really does. Um, I I can't wait to see this at all. Have you seen Your Next, by the way? I haven't, no. I mean, I've heard about it, but I haven't actually caught up with it. It's it's a bit of a modern classic, I have to say. Um, I'll tell you what this made me think of, apart from all the... um 
I mean, I know we've watched a lot of crazy family stuff like that, uh, Mercy Christmas recently, oh, yeah, yeah. and uh, even like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this is very much in that vein. But Society was the one I was thinking yes, of. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you can almost see that sort of thing where, you know, you've got this family who are trying to protect their bloodline and all that sort of stuff, you know, kind of it sullied with any commoners, so they come up with this sort of system, you know. But also in the trailer, there's a bit where it says they have to do this in order to protect the family, otherwise some terrible curse is going to befall them. And it's that thing I've sort of mentioned before, right? You know, sort of people doing evil things for for the greater good, as it were, you know, despite how sort of um, twisted that, that actually might be in this case. And it's hard to know whether that's, I mean, especially at this point in the trailer, mm. it's hard to know whether there is any validity to that, whether that's just a belief that they have based yeah. on something, you know, that's been passed on down through generations, uh, and has some basis in reality or, 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 you know, or whether, you know, if, if they don't actually, uh, do this sacrifice or whatever it is, you know, would it, would it, would it matter really, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Well, so right. there's some interesting sort of th- themes and ideas at play. Hmm. And it just looks great, you know. Yeah. And Samara Weaving sort of seems to be sort of becoming the queen of these kind of subversive, twisted, uh, twisted horror stories, isn't hmm. she? Like, um, say the, the, the babysitter sort of went in complete di- directions oh, that you didn't expect great, it yeah. to. Uh, Mayhem was just, you know, just crazy. Um, yeah. So uh, the, the omens are all good for this one. Absolutely. This is one of those ones that I've been seeing in my sort of uh, Facebook feed for the last few days. So, yeah, a, bit, a good bit of marketing going out on that one. Yes, yeah, so that is our um, coming soon section for this week. Our first review this week is Triple Threat. In this one, we have three mercenaries who have to join forces to get revenge on the criminal gang who left them for dead, interrupting their mission to kill a billion-dollar heiress intent on using her fortune to destroy organized crime. So we have um, Iko Uwe from The Raid, we've got Tony Jaa, and we've also got Tiger Chen, who used to be um, Keanu Reeves' stunt double in The Matrix, and he went on to do Man of Tai Chi. And, of course, we've got the bad guys. We've got Scott Atkins and Michael J. White and Gina Yanin from uh, Chocolate. This is a pretty high-profile, action-packed, cast-packed-full-of-stars movie, Rich. Yes, absolutely. And we've been waiting a hell of a long time to see it. The the film itself has gathered such momentum uh, in the last couple of years. I'm sure Jesse Johnson, uh, director, has been you know, chomping at the bit to talk about it, but hasn't been able to for, for whatever reason. And, uh, has finally been able to say, you know, that the film, you know, he, the film is released now. People can stop bothering about when it's actually going to come out. Uh, it's a, a cast to die for really. That is what is the main thing that got people excited. You know, it's like, it's like a whole kind of expendables thing, but this is something we haven't really seen much of uh, this kind of thing. Uh, the, the Pan-Asian cast itself is unusual in, in an American, basically what is an American production or, or at least a Hollywood style production. So we've got, we don't just have three Asian leads. We've got three, uh, three leads from different parts of Asia. So they all speak different languages. So, <laughs> so what, uh, so we've got Tony Jaa from Thailand and Tiger Chen from China and Iko Uwe from Indonesia. Yep. Uh, the common language between them in the movie is often English. Yeah. Uh, which is quite convenient. And 
the setting is in Thailand. So, so I mean, this is a big undertaking just on that basis alone for um, Jesse Johnson and the team. Mm. But when you throw in the rest of the you know huge ensemble cast, uh, as you've mentioned, you know Michael J. White and, and Scott Atkins, and we also get uh, Dominique Vandenberg, who has worked with uh, Jesse Johnson quite a few times before, and will be in Legion Max soon. Uh, Ron Smorenberg's in there, mm. and Michael Wong. Oh, it's brilliant to see him again. Uh, uh, Selena Lowe pops up in there as well, and you know this cast has essentially been put. To, uh, the casting was all done by Mike Leader, who's probably like the most connected guy yeah. <laughs> in in Asia, for, uh, in the Asian film in, uh, business or whatever. So it's it's absolutely amazing, and, and so a lot of the pleasure of the movie, of which there is a great deal, comes from that cast. So the, 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 you're constantly seeing so many people that, you know, for a, for a fan, for an action movie fan, uh, you're seeing all these different cat people that you've watched in so many other movies, either together or separately. And it just, it, it, it's, a, it's just a joy. And then when the action take, when the action gets underway, you don't have this disappointment that you get when you see Eco away turn up in Star Wars or whatever it is, where <laughs> nothing, you know, or, you know, or, do you know what I'm saying? Where the, yeah. the, basically the fight scenes are shot badly or they're not utilized yeah. properly. Everybody in here gets to do what they do really well. Uh, and not least uh, the case of Scott Atkins, who gets to be a fantastic villain. Scott Atkins gets, I mean, um, I don't know if you read um, Outlaw Vern's website, but he, he, he put it quite succinctly that um, you know, Scott Atkins gets a proper supervillain entrance. You know, they, they have to blow up this whole village to rescue him from this um, this sort of prison, sort of black site prison. Yeah. And then you know they have to sort of pull him out of this hole. You know, he's been kept in this pit sort of thing. You know, and he's got a long straggly beard and stuff, but he's still sort of like cut like a. Bottle, <laughs> um, but it is what you know. It's it's one of those iconic sort of entrances, basically. It's 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 a great start. Um, yeah, so even though the film does say, you know, in the credits, you've got all these people, and the very last one, it's like, and Scott Atkins. So you're thinking, oh, he's going to be in, like, two scenes. He's going to be, you know, is, is he going to be like um, uh, Sylvester Stallone in the um, the Escape Plan movies where he's just behind a desk or some crap like that? But uh-huh. no, he, he's, he is the proper villain in this, you know, um, and, and he's great. Uh, he gets backed, a lot of screen time. He gets a lot of screen time. He's ably backed up by Michael J. White. Um, also, he looks like Mr. T these days. <laughs> he does yeah, a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, you know the two of them sort of play these hard as nails sort of badasses, basically. You know, and for once, sort of having a, a bit of a blast, sort of being the bad guys as well. Uh, it's, it's it's great to see. Um, but yeah, so we got Gina Yannick. Sorry, sorry again. Uh, we got Iko Uwe. Um, who is one of the guards at this black site place. Um, he's one of the few survivors. Um, he gets sort of knocked unconscious by these other two guys played by Tony Jaa and Tiger Chen, who it turns out have been kind of duped onto this mission um, as, as backup. Um, so when Iko catches up with them later, they sort of like, you know, share their stories and kind of agree to sort of work together. But then Iko's got his own agenda going, so he keeps sort of, crossing and double crossing them and setting yeah. them up. Um, but it leads to some great set pieces that, you know, the, the opening village attack is great. And there's another one um, set in a, um, in a, in a police station, you know, absolutely amazing sort of stuff going on. Um, 
Gina Yanin has a great scene um, as well. You know, she gets to do a little bit of fighting. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 a, a really really good film. Really enjoyed it. The pr- sort of predecessor, in some ways, to this was Skin Trade, mm, with to- which so, Tony yeah. Jaa was previously the lead in with um, uh, Dolph Lundgren, and also had uh, Selena Jade, who's in this film, and was also in uh, Wolf. Was she, she was in Wolf Warrior with Scott Atkins, mm. also playing a similar kind of villain character in that. Um, have you seen Skin Trade? I have seen Skin Trade. Yeah. Yeah. So how, I'm, uh, if I'm a fan of this movie, am I going to enjoy Skin Trade? You are, but not quite as much. No. Well, I think that's right. Because Michael J. White was in that one as well, wasn't he? He was, so, yeah. Well, quite yeah. a few returning uh, it, people. I, actually, I need to see that again, that film. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a solid film, that's for sure. But it's, it's not quite on this level. No, so the we'll probably talk about Jesse Johnson a bit more later. But he is a director who's been, he's been around for quite some time. But he's really... Making a leap, I think these, you know, his last few films that he's making, he's he's putting a real distinctive stamp and style on them. Uh, this film sits completely apart from most of his other work. You 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 could watch the different films that he's made, and you wouldn't necessarily know it was the same guy making them. He's very adaptable to completely different kinds of yeah. situations and setups, but always delivering the action. Uh, you know that this is the same director as the Debt Collector, for example. But they're such different films. Yeah, absolutely. As well as Accident Man. As well as Accident Man. And funny enough, um, the very first film that I reviewed, the very first film I officially received to review uh, when I started um, well, you know, being a film critic and stuff, mm-hmm. was um, The Fifth Commandment, which well, was one of his earlier films with, um, yeah, oh, um, what's his name, Rick... Rick Yoon? Rick Yoon. I was going to mention that film because that is the film this reminded me of a lot. Exactly. In part due to the fact that they were both made in Thailand. Exactly. That's what I was going to say as well. Um, the colours and the colours and stuff as well, and the way it's shot. You know, like the big set piece at the end uh, in the sort of flaming building. That really reminded me of. I mean, I, d- I don't remember the Fifth Commandment very well. It's been quite some time. I think I've got a Steelbook DVD of it lying around somewhere. <laughs> the one thing I remember about it, it has a really stonking um, car chase sort of shootout um, in, in a marketplace. It's really, really good, um, which really sort of lifted the, you know, the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that, that's, that's a sort of kind of as close as I can sort of think of um, for this. And, you know, unless you're going to start thinking of um, big budget films by Dante Lam, like uh, Operation Mekong or Extraordinary yeah. Mission, you know, which, which kind of have the same film, but are on a, you know, much bigger multi-million dollar budget um, to this one, but yeah, no, so this, on, this is really good. So on the uh, the other thing, we get some big action scenes, obviously martial arts scenes that are really accomplished, choreographed by Tin Man, uh, and we also get uh, big, big gunfight scenes. Uh, you know, like, like I think that's like the assault on a police station sequence, you know, which is like a, a genre sort of classic, and that's really done well. And um, everybody, there's. None of the showdowns are disappointing. You know, you, you get, you don't know because the cast is so vast. You don't know who's going to face off against who, and there's enough, you know, big guy, little guy combinations for those David Goliath com, uh, fights. But you get basically what you want. You, you, you know, we get um, uh, Michael Bisping's in there as well. He gets he gets a big fight scene with uh, Tiger Chen, and we've also got. Uh, who else? Uh, 
Dominic Vandenberg has a couple of sequences and then he gets kind of taken out. So this was one of the um, things I wanted to mention about, like the takeouts. Yeah. Of, of when, like, uh, like Gigi Yannin's takeout. Yeah, that's... She's she <laughs> great. The, she gets the best death scene, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, she gets taken out in, in, in such an extreme fashion. Uh, that uh, so this film does not crimp on the uh, on the gore and the, the violence and stuff. No, so it's definitely a, um, a hallmark of um, Mr. Johnson's style, yeah. as, as we'll as we'll discuss later in the episode. Yeah. So um, really, the the so the the film is I say half the pleasures in in seeing this amazing cast together, and then the other half is kind of really the action. Yeah. The story is kind of a bit. Uh, I got a bit lost in a couple of the places with, you know, what he yeah, could, exactly. what basically what Eco Away was up to and what the, and the various intrigues were and Michael Wong and who he was, you know, he was working with and then he was helping and stuff. And there was a bit of a Lawrence Fishburne kind of uh, uh, John Wick kind of thing. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? You know, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, situation yeah. happened in, happened there. But, you know, it's, it's, this is uh, such a good film and I can't wait to watch it again, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, check it out. So, uh, quick scores on the doors. Uh, definitely an 8 out of 10 from me. Yeah, absolutely, an 8 out of 10 from me as well. This is, yeah, it's uh, number one in the DTV chart. Let's uh, let's keep it there, guys. You know, Go out and buy it. Great fun. Our next review is Incoming. Uh, the International Space Station is now being used as a black site prison for international terrorists. Dr. Stone is sent to the station to check on the well-being of the prisoners and becomes the catalyst for an escape attempt. In the midst is Scott Atkins playing Ricer, a security expert who has a bit of a, uh, a, a nasty secret going on as well. Um, now, Rich... We've just sort of discussed the the brilliance of um, Triple Threat, and now we have to talk about incoming. I thought, all things considered, uh, you know, cons- you know, basically considering the sort of bad press and you know uh, that, that we've heard about it, uh, that it was a lot better than I expected. I, I actually thought it was all right for the most part. Uh, I can, yeah, the the there is the problem that you've got Scott Adkins and his fight scenes are incomprehensible. Oh god! Uh, so yeah. that is that is basically the main problem, uh, and I'm sure that is probably what he is most disappointed about. I'm sure that was very frustrating for him. Yeah. But I think in terms of his performance, it's really good. Uh, it's another sort of uh, he's sort of the good guy, sort of the bad guy kind of role, uh, and yeah. he's really he's like amping up. He's He's brilliant at being mad and moody and 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 you know you know mean. Uh, he's very good, and, which is funny because he's often playing the the hero. Mm. Uh, but I think he's actually a very, and I think this is uh, we'll get onto this a bit more later. But I think he's uh, he's at his best when he's kind of harnessing his strengths as a hero and a villain in the same role, uh, rather than being just a hero. So, for example, in like a Hard Target Two, where he's yeah. like a pure hero. You, you, you're just not as interested in his character and the, it doesn't help that the film wasn't very good either but um, <laughs> when he's in and this goes all the way back to his early films like the Boyka you know mm. Yuri Boyka and stuff the um, you know the sort of bad the anti-hero yeah. and so he's playing that here he's like he's, he's essentially painted as a heroic character but like a real you know 
prick. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> he, he, yeah, he's he's got layers, hasn't he? He's, he's quite yeah. nuanced. Yeah, because I, I quite like that. Yeah. But the, the the thing is, he he's often he's he's at the sidelines. You know, it's like it's really strange. It's like watching a uh, one of these, you know, Steven Seagal movies or whatever, where he turns up for a bit and then goes off, and there's other people doing the scenes. And it, it doesn't really. I understand that this is more of an ensemble film, but at the same time, they're not utilizing him in the best way, and I think that's probably the the film's undoing. Yeah, absolutely. One of the films. I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, but I quite, you know, the set is quite minimalist. You know, it's all set on a, it's all soundstage stuff, moving between basically two or three rooms and a cor- you know, two two rooms in the corridor. I, I got the feeling they forgot to paint it. <laughs> it is it is just monochrome but you know the whole film is just monochrome it's, it just looks awful um scott scott's great in it even with his american accent um as as we said he he, he does play this sort of nuanced character he's, he's this security expert um the whole sort of setup is that this doctor has been sent up there to um check on these prisoners and we find out that the you know the one guard this this prick of a british guy has basically been torturing these guys for the last five years, you know, day in, day out. Um, and, you know, he gets sympathy for Scott's character because he's, like, disgusted, you know, when he, when he finds out. He's sort of shocked. He is actually quite shocked and disgusted at what's been going on. Um, but then he sort of finds out other information later on, which kind of sort of nuances his, his position a little bit. Um, but there are, you know, there are um, some silly contrivances. It turns out that you know, this terrorist has been playing the long game for like five years. He's been allowing himself to be tortured day in and day out um, on this space station just so that he can escape and use the space station as a weapon, you know, and sort of try and drive it into Moscow. Um, but I think, he, I don't know if that was his plan. I mean, I know he was giving them sort of little bits of information because he was trying to get them to focus on him. Rather than on his team, and then they sort of say to him, "Well, oh, that's because you don't trust your team." And he's like, "No, that's because I'm the leader." Kind of, mm. kind of stuff. Uh, I didn't, I didn't mind that so much. And the, the guy coming up with the concept of you, you know, uh, crashing into into Russia and everything. I've, I've read a, a couple of reviews, and they were saying things like, "Yeah, but why are these guys doing any of this? It doesn't really, you know, nothing's ever actually framed in any way. You know, this just like they are terrorists." They are going to blow up a place, you know, kind of, yeah. kind of thing. But uh, I didn't mind that so much. You know, remember we watched uh, oh, way, way back. We watched The Risen. Yes. And that was a sort of very claustrophobic, very set-based kind of yeah. walking around the corridors kind of thing. Yeah. And this reminded mind, me of that. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind films which spend a lot of time running up and down corridors usually. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> Just something about this one that just didn't click with me. Um, I'll tell you one, another sort of interesting bit of Scott's character, which yeah. they didn't really develop. You know, it didn't go the way I thought it was going to be at the beginning. Um, when, when the shuttle docks with the space station and they got to walk through this sort of corridor that joins the two. Oh, and, yeah. and he's sort of really, really nervous because, yeah. you know, he's really worried it's going to sort of detach and yeah. be sucked out into space. I, know I, thought, I thought it was a great little character moment you know and i thought oh they never use that at the end you know they could yeah you're right that sort of stuff is usually done as like to pay off later in the film isn't it and it doesn't go anywhere (laughs) it's like neat it's like completely pointless in the end which is which is sad but But, Um, yeah i'm not sure why they did that the um 
the guy, the guy who plays the uh, the tugboat captain, as he calls himself. Yeah. Uh, he's he's kind of he's essentially the sort of the sympathetic lead of well the two there's there's two sympathetic leads the male and the female and uh, he's uh, the male of the two. Uh, he reminded me of uh, the guy in the um, the 714th short film that we watched. You remember the? Oh uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, because that, really that was a very similar kind of setup, I thought, yeah. uh, in, a, in in that one. So yeah, Atkins when he's on screen is really good. Uh, when he's off screen, you're waiting for him to come back. Uh, when he does have his fight scene, it's just like or fight scenes. Oh, he has two or three, and it's just like, oh, hang on, well, I can't see anything. Where is he? Uh, it's filmed. It's, but it's almost like I mean, the, the worst film on the planet for me is Gamer. It always will be. So Neville Dean and what? Um, yeah. And that's what it reminded me of. It's you know, it's sort of very choppy. Is you know, there's, the cameraman's on uh, a skateboard or something. He can't keep the camera. Pointing in the right direction, you know. I was, I was watching it. I'm thinking, all you got to do is put the camera on a tripod and say action, and that's it. That's all you got to do. Not all this sort of like spinning around and sort of like lurching from one side to the other. Uh, no, it's. But there was also there was also some uh, in the reviews that I was reading. They were saying basically that the people that Adkins was fighting in the films, you know. Mm were not, you know, nearly as experienced as he was. So therefore he had, he couldn't go all out. He kind well, of had I, to I imagine so. But and and therefore then they had to shoot them differently yeah. to, to compensate for sort of how bad, you know, or inexperienced the other uh the combatants were. So yeah, I kind of see that. The the concept is basically like a I mean we've seen the whole prison uh a space prison thing yeah. like with Fortress two and uh, was it Lockout with Guy Pierce, yeah, the one that got sued over the whole uh, escape yeah. from New York thing? John Carpenter sued him or something. I think. Uh, the, uh, but it was all. It all goes back to sort of like Rio Bravo and assault on Precinct Thirteen. I think yeah, this yeah. kind of setup. And for what it has, I thought it was fine. The the the, the bad guy actors, you know, all, all unfamiliar to me. I thought did a good job. Um, I thought the, the lead villain was good. The I think what it is, is that at this point in Scott's career, you look at this and you think, no, you know, if, if, if Scott wasn't in it, if it was some other actor, yeah. we'd be looking at this going, yeah, this is a really solid sort of, you know, it has its flaws, but, you know, and all the rest of it. But it's got Scott Atkins in it, and, and basically you can tell they were lucky to get him, you know. <laughs> um, they, were, they were really, must. You know, I don't know if the you know the budget was cut sort of midway through or something, or but um, yeah, they were they were lucky to get him as, as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to go way back to the beginning of the film because we open with quite a, a pacey <laughs> montage of London, yep, and then we get the Big Ben explosion, <laughs> the asylum explosion, yeah, um, <laughs> which they then re-show about four times on the monitor of the screen of the. Um, uh, one of the guys who's just about to get caught and taken to prison. When when is this supposed to be set? <laughs> because the film makes no attempt to establish that it's the future in the opening scenes, and then all of a sudden it says five years later, and it's like, oh, we're in space. <laughs> and so I was just like completely thrown by that. It's like it's not like London was shown in any sort of futuristic, you know, children of oh, men right. kind of you know touches that would make it look like. It was the future in any sense. It looked like a modern day, yeah, yeah, and then all yeah, of a sudden yeah. you're in a sci-fi movie. It was a bit, 
the other side of it as well is is that the you know the international space station we've all seen the inside of the international space station you know there's barely any any room to move around it's just all wires and boxes and things you know there's no fucking way you're going to build us a high you know high security prison out of it it's um you know without a lot of money being thrown at it which um, yeah it's just if if this was the marvel universe yes the fact that it's supposed to be now uh, but there are still these sort of fantastical sci- sci-fi things in in there that would make sense that yes. would fit because we're used to it we know the groundwork's been laid exactly. but uh, just sort of being thrown into this kind of situation was a bit strange and like you say the um i was actually i was like what did they say the international space station because I, I just presumed it was a completely different mm. uh a completely different uh, structure yep. uh, <laughs> so it's a, a very uh, odd thing that they decided to go down that route yeah. the and the, the other thing has got shuttles again <laughs> yeah they highlight the um uh they've got like the control room stuff you know the oh, they've got, the desk with the microphone yeah know. so they they talk back to the guy on the on the ground and it's it's one of those uh plan nine from outer space kind of mm. <laughs> things where it's just basically a man sitting in a room with with the in with, with the curtains drawn. That, it's, <laughs> it's pure asylum that is. And the um, office when they, when they had the office meeting, you know. Yeah, uh, the boardroom meeting. Boardroom meeting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At least they had a boardroom table and some comfy chairs for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and a woman who's sort of looking out into space, yeah. <laughs> so not seem to be connecting with any of the other actors in the room. I don't know. That was a bit strange. But uh, yeah, so you know, it's got its problems. It does, uh, but you know, I, it's I like. Fair to say, it, it's okay. It's but it's fair to say this is not up to the caliber we expect from a, from a Scott Atkins film these days. But did you get the clue from Scott Atkins' character's name? Um, yes, now, now, I do now. <laughs> I've just clicked, yes, because <laughs> obviously he's called Riser. Yes. Named after Paul Reiser from Williams. Yes. 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 Carter Burke. Yes. Indeed. So yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. It was um, for, for for the fans. So hopefully, um, uh, our friend Will hopefully would get a kick out of that one as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are you going to score it, Mike? I'm going to be generous and give it a five. I'm going to go just above with a six. Yeah. So approach with caution, guys, is what we're saying with this one. Um, your mileage will definitely vary. It passes the time. Yeah, that's a bit... <laughs> put that on the cover. <laughs> <laughs> it passes the time. <laughs> the DTV Digest. Okay, before we get into our Avengement review, we're going to deal with our DTV throwback, which this week is El Gringo. Uh, in this one, Scott Atkins plays a man who crosses into Mexico into the town of um, El Fronteras with a satchel full of two, $2 million and a, sort of a bit of a bloody past. And uh, he finds himself in the midst of a cartel that is trying to assert itself, uh, dirty cops and um, some very annoying characters overall, as well as an annoying director and editor as well as we'll come on to um so this is available on uh amazon prime at the moment so it's free if you have that service um it's definitely worth a look i think but 
and it's definitely a step up in, in my view of um, incoming, but it definitely has its problems, Rich. When did you first see this film, Mike? Well, I started watching it a while ago. I think I got about halfway through, and I just kind of lost interest. Mm-hmm. So I, I watched this um, last night, in fact. Was it last night? Yes, last night I watched this um, you know, all the way through for the first time. And, yeah, it just annoys me. Okay. To a See, I... I, I... I'm I'm on the uh, I think the, the opposite side of the fence is like I wish I'd seen this years ago. Mm. It's like this was this came out um, 2012, in 2012 yeah. and was I think it's Atkins' only sort of third or fourth proper leading role. I think fourth actually. Mm. He'd done Ninja, Undisputed Three, and Assassination Games, and then this one, and they've sort of thrown a bit more money at it. So the you've got um, Christian Slater in there for some support, uh, which uh, elevates it a, a bit, but. I think this is one of Atkins' best films, personally. I, th- I think it's m- incredibly polished, uh, really sharp, you know, very th- cinematic. And yes, it's over edited and over stylized. Uh, and there's that stupid Acapulco thing they keep doing. <laughs> but, you know, I think they, the film is very stylish. Uh, it's shot, it's, it's a lovely widescreen. It's very, it's not got that, you know, uh, Isaac Florentine is the director's, uh, uh, prior to Jesse Johnson, who's, who Adkins is most linked to, but in any of he, Florentine's he, he movies, this one, didn't he? he exactly produced it. Yeah, but Florentine's movies are not particularly stylish. Uh, they're, in <laughs> fact, they, they generally look dull as dishwater uh, in in a lot of cases. You know, the really sort of low <laughs> vi- low production quality on the, the cinematography and everything. This one's just really sharp. I mean, perhaps over bleached and whatever, but uh, Adkins looks great in it. He's really, he's a really tough, uh, excellently well-drawn character. So we've got him again, sort of playing that bad guy, good guy kind of thing. So he's running off with a bag of money and he's being pursued, but you know, he's kind of, he's, he's a criminal, but you know, they sort of show that he's a cop or is he a good cop? Is he a bad cop? We don't know. Uh, he's, he's unbeatable in basically that John Wick way. He's even got a dog trailing him around. And, uh, uh, the, yeah, I just think I just thought great the the whole Robert Rodriguez ish kind of as uh, the I mean it was directed by a guy called Eduardo Rodriguez no relation as far as I'm, uh, I'm aware as far as I'm aware but uh, you know it's just got it's so much uh, so much has been put into the movie that I couldn't help but be impressed by it and especially by Atkins and the action. Okay, from an action point of view, this is stellar. Um, not only do you have that uh, shootout with the um, the drug bus gone wrong bit that that is really really good out in the desert, um, but then you got this really excellent extended sequence where this whole gang of you know sort of cartel members are after him, and he's he's <laughs> it's just a running gun battle throughout this this little town, and it is great you know the his um, athletic ability comes into it his his fighting skills come into it. The, you know, the gunplay comes into it. It's very, um, you know, John Woo circa um, sort of hard target going on. Uh, there's elements of the Joshua Tree, you know, the, the um, Dolph yeah. Lundgren film in there as well. Uh, it's it's really, really good. But it does have issues. Um, the Acapulco thing is one. The other is 
Character title cards. Character title cards. Why the fuck do we need to know the names of these characters? If we really need to know the names of the characters, have the characters introduce themselves to us. Because otherwise, you know, you're just turning your film into a comic book. You really are. You know, there's no way we can know these character names. Scott Atkins doesn't know who the fuck these people are, so why do we need to know who they are? It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's just a flashy gimmick because you saw smoking fucking aces back in... 20, I don't know, when is it, 2006? Something stupid like that. Anyway, I digress. There's that. Then there's the other fight he has with the guy wearing the, the cowboy hat. Remember that one? It was it was part of the desert shootout scene towards the end of it. He has a fight with this guy with a cowboy hat. And the editing of that just drove me insane. It was awful. It was this sort of weird staccato sort of effect they kept doing to it. I can't remember it. Yeah, you know he keeps knocking off his hat because he's really obsessed with his hat. Yeah, I remember the I remember the thing about it in being kind of. No, they do they do something with the editing where it's like this staccato sort of like thing, and and oh, I was watching it going, fuck's sake, you know, so put your toys away and just play the scene. It was ridiculous. So Um, the one thing I want to mention is the running jokes. Is that the hot? Well. That's that's like the first one, isn't it? So mm-hmm. you got the water joke that keeps going on, yeah. And then you've got the girl running off with his bag, uh. Uh, which I just need to digress for a second. He keeps he 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 calls her the kid, yeah. He says, "Hey, kid," and stuff. I'm like, she, she looks, looks like she's about five years younger than you are. Yeah. <laughs> she's she looks like yeah, she's about 20, 20, 20, 20 whatever years old. So um. They, 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 it seems like they wrote the character to be like a really to be like a youngster, and then they've cast like a model <laughs> in it instead. So that's a bit strange. Um, and the missing the bus, yeah, they they just put it like, But then in the last half an hour, the last act of the movie, it completely changes. Mm. They they sort of drop all that, and sort of some real stuff starts to happen, um, which I liked. Uh, I like that change of pace and the whole standing up to the bad guys and the rescuing the damsel, and See, it's all it's all well. quite desperado and that you know bit, the whole western yeah. style of it. That bit at the end, it was just too convoluted. It, it just stretched too long. It was you know there is no way they'd have waited around that long to kill that girl. You know, should have been dead a long time before he even sort of got there. Yeah. Know. Oh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It just, it just dragged on so long. It was stupid. And he got the so it turns out the main bad guy is the sheriff, and he is a non-event. You know, he he he's hardly in the film. Um, he's more obsessed with killing the local dogs or something, and you know, and it's. He, Again, it's one of these sort of missed opportunities. You think it's going to sort of build to something, and it doesn't. It's just like, uh Well, they they establish him as like the bad guy quite early with the with you know him running oh, yeah. the group. We know we know he's but, but then we realise he's tied to with, with along with another key player in the, in the film, are tied to the bag of money and yeah, and what that's that all about. Been, which was, all I thought was, was so obvious. Straight. For, I thought that was seemed as soon as you realise that, that you know who sent them on the raid in the first place, it, it, yeah, you know you knew you knew exactly who the bad guys were. Well, I thought it all seemed quite convoluted until I thought, hang on a minute, at the beginning of the movie, the guy who Atkins is just about to kill basically tells him where to go, and he goes, 
And he basically goes, yeah, okay, I'll go there. <laughs> and, then, and then basically sort of like that's the problem. With the if he'd gone anywhere else, none of this would have happened. <laughs> that's good. So um, that was a bit of a silly decision on here. There's a, there's a whole weird thing of, um, you know, he's torturing this guy. He's about to kill him at the beginning. Uh, and uh, they're having this sort of like quite nice conversation. It's like, right, okay, I'm going to. I'm going to blow you up now. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, the film develops all of what happens, sort of the lead up in, in a, a lot of flashbacks, which funnily enough sort of ties in with uh, the next film we're going to talk about, which took, takes a kind of a similar approach to yeah. developing the, uh, uh, uncovering the events of, of, you know, what actually took place. Exactly. So, and so I, I really, really liked it a lot. Uh, I think it stands head and shoulders above, especially something like Hard Target 2, which uh, was kind of the level I was expecting here. Uh, it's even better than something like Close Range, which is in a similar kind of uh, ballpark, Western mm. kind of setting and that. But th- this is high end for me. As, as I Very few of, um, apart from, I mean, this uh, for me, uh, if I cons- uh, consider that this was made the same year as Universal Soldier 2, uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, sorry. Yeah. That was a great year for Adkins because he, those are two very cinematic films and he also made Expendables 2. So he was like really taking a leap up mm. that year. And then the next year kind of went, it all went a bit, you know, traditional DTV again after that. Um, and it's taken a few years and he's sort of back, you know, making uh, much higher quality films again, as, as far as I see. I think that, but this was kind of, I think this film should have, got more should have more praise and more um credibility you know be talked up more than it is it's it's, well, it's, it's it's like one of those films that nobody ever mentions which is why i've never seen it because it's not it's not everyone always talks about ninja shadow yeah. of a tear which i thought was fine but you know it didn't blow me away but i think that was because the hype was so big yeah. that when i got around to watching it it couldn't possibly reach those expectations uh, whereas this, I, I went in with extremely low expectations, and, it, and it, I turned, you know, I was just like, "Whoa, hang on, <laughs> this is really good." I, I have to admit, I mean, as I said, I tried to watch this a few years back, and I gave up after the sort of first twenty, thirty minutes. And if I'd stuck with it a bit longer, I might have got into a bit more, because obviously I stopped it before the big gun battle and you know things like that. But you know those. Little directorial flourishes or the editing flourishes really do flaw the film. You know, they add flaws which didn't need to be there, unfortunately. Um, you know, they scratch the paintwork, basically, is what they've done. Uh, but, you know, that, that, that main shootout in the middle of the film is absolutely fantastic. It really is. There's, there's a bit where he sort of does a somersault <coughs> onto a raised platform. Yeah, and, uh, and then someone is to spin around and sort of shoot the guy coming behind him, and it, it, it's almost like something out of an Escher drawing, you know. It's it's almost like an impossible thing that he's done, but it's, it just looks really, really cool. But um, yeah, he, he's you know physically he's at the top of his game in 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 that one. Um, yeah, that, that gun battle's amazing. It's just a shame, you know, somebody didn't tell the director and editor to just calm the fuck down and deliver a solid film. Now, the director of this, previous to this, made Stash House with Dolph Lundgren. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that one? I haven't seen that one, no. Because uh, I think that's been added to Prime as well, so I'm curious to check that out. But after this, he went on to do Fright Night 2. I have seen that. Um, yeah? It's got nothing to do with Fright Night. No? 
What is what any of the Friday nights? Or... Any of the Friday nights. It's set in Romania or somewhere like that, somewhere in Eastern Europe. Um, Does yeah. the TV program Friday Night get mentioned at all? No. No. no, no, no. <laughs> so it, it's it's closer to something like Hostel. Okay. So it's one of those cases where they do a, a remake and then a DTV sequel to the remake that actually has nothing to do with the. I got a feeling property. it was going to be something else, and somebody just slapped a different name on it. Oh, okay. Because uh, I never, I didn't see the Russell. Was it was it Russell Brand? No, uh, yeah, Russell Brand and um, Colin. Was it David Tennant? Was that was it? As well? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Colin Farrell. Oh right. It's great. It is, is it? great. Yeah, it's oh, really, okay. really good. Um, it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, yeah, it's got a great cast. Um, yeah, David Tennant and Russell Brand. Is it? That's David Tennant. David Tennant playing Russell Brand, basically. Oh, is, oh okay. I, I, I'm, I just it didn't it didn't sort of, it, it's not it's uh, you know it seems a far mm. cry from Roddy McDowell and, and isn't uh, it Anton uh, Yeltsin in it as well? Oh yeah, I think I think Anton yeah. Yeltsin. Yeah. Anyway, so the, yeah, I just noticed that the director of this had done those two other movies, and I'm, you know, yeah, although he might have gone over, you know, gone overboard on this one, the um, I'm, I mean, I'm very, I'm definitely curious to see some of his other work because, uh, yeah, I mean, oh, wow, I mean, this for me could have easily sat in the cinema, uh, you know, without a doubt, and yeah, aesthetically, I think it's one of Adkins' best films, uh, and I stand by that, and the whole. I don't know if it's coincidental, but the whole bag full of money thing and Christian Slater being in it just makes me think of true romance and that. And I don't know if that's intentional or not, but I thought that was quite nice. Um, oh, the three the three guys with one bullet. That was cool. Yeah, that was and he brilliant. Does, he does establish just before, and he, he, he checks the ammo and he goes, "Oh, I'm yeah. a piece and bullets." <laughs> yeah. And he then kind of basically does it completely by accident. and go, "Oh." Yeah. But yeah, that was a lovely moment. I thought that was a cracking action. Yeah, there. I can't fault can't fault the blood squibs and you know the, the action. Just just some of the sort of the the editing choices, the artistic choices that went with it. Stop doing those Acapulco inserts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was old after the second one. Yeah. <laughs> Scores on the doors. Well, we don't score the we don't score the throwbacks, do we? We don't score the throwbacks. Okay, we'll leave it as is. Uh, as we said, this is on Amazon Prime. If you're curious, check it out. If you're an action fan, definitely check it out. Bear with it. You know, the first 20 minutes, um, it's definitely worth it. But I'm, I'm pretty sure you'll see where where I'm coming from, and, and probably where Richard's coming from as well. So that's El Gringo. Our final review this week is Avengement. This is the latest film directed by Jesse Johnson and starring Scott Atkins. In this one, he plays Kane Burgess, the younger brother of Lincoln Burgess, played by Craig Fairbrass. So Kane does a job for his older brother, gets sent to prison as a result, and having escaped, comes out a much harder man. Uh, laying siege to uh, Lincoln's men, in the little pub called the um, the Horse and Jockey, he tells them about his uh, his incarceration and what's led him to this terrible night. Um, now, last year, Rich, we were able to sit down with Scott, and uh, he was just in the middle of doing some uh, some pickup shots for this one. I had to shave his head again, um, but he was very proud of this film, and it's easy to say see why this is 
probably the most violent, other than something like uh, The Night Comes for Us on Netflix, this is probably the most violent film I've seen this year. This this is, and the most gritty violent film at that. Yeah, I mean, it is quite intense. We've got a nibble the curb kind of moment in there. For, See, for I, I had to, uh, um, when I reviewed American History X with uh, yeah. Josh, I had to fast forward through that bit. You know, it's a notorious scene. Mm. And I was like, no, I can't, I, this is too much. And of course, here we have a similar scene. It's fucking awful. Except this one, you actually see impact, oh, whereas in the other one, it's all in it's all in your imagination yeah. in the original uh, American history. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't like that very much, <laughs> but it, it makes a point, and it you know, it's it's all these storytelling moments that are in the in the film to tell how uh, Scott Atkins turned from fresh face Scott Atkins to. <laughs> Scarred and you know deformed and uh, you know uh, angry, gold yeah. uh, silver tooth uh, Scott Atkins uh, character. So he's playing Kane Burgess, as you said. Now this is this is quite an interesting one because he's essentially a, you could think of this character as like a British cousin of Yuri Boyka. Hmm. Um, so Yuri Boyka is the character that Atkins has played in the Undisputed sequels, not the original. Uh, in the sequels, which is essentially the role that has defined Atkins. Uh, it's the one he's most famous for. It's the one that all the fan art's done for. Uh, and so he's brought some of that to a British prison, uh, a British prison, British, British crime story to create a very different film to any of the Undisputed, but with many of the same qualities. So he's a, he's a bad guy, but he's not without, you know, He's not entirely bad, so he's a, he's sort of conflicted. He's got good aspects, but he's you know he's a very bad dude, uh, uh, especially because of what's happened to him and ha- what prison has made him. Uh, not just what prison has made him, but what, what his, his brother, brother's made him, what yeah. his brother's made him. Yeah. So uh, there's all that kind of stuff going on. His brother is not called Abel, as you say. It's called he's called Lincoln, uh, and uh, but there's very there's a lot of animosity there, and, uh, and you know it's all going to come to a head, and so. What we have is an escape, a prison escape at the beginning of the film, and the, then he hold, he goes into the pub and starts. He basically holds everyone in their, in their hostage, uh, holding court and explaining what's happened to him, and over you know over the course of various stories, what he's actually after, uh, and we get him. Uh, in his audience, we have Thomas Turgus and uh, Leo Gregory and uh, Bo uh, Fowler and um, Mark Strange. And then Mark Strange, yeah, mm-hmm. who, who's who first get he gets beaten up like three or four times. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's like it starts at the front uh, front. Uh, yeah, he's a doorman, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, so he he gets quite a few kickings in the film. Um, and we also eventually, after a little while, uh, because the film likes to pace itself really well, uh, is um, Nick Moran, yep. who's who's fantastic. <laughs> he's really, really slimy. Uh, is brilliant. Uh, he's 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 not a guy who's, you often think of. He's been around quite a long time, and you know he was obviously he's the lead in uh, Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels uh, and stuff. Uh, but it never, his career never kind of took off in the same direction as Apparently, like, some, some I, I heard a rumor that he and Guy Ritchie didn't get on or something right okay and, and and you know that's sort of like it poisoned the waters as it were uh 
anyway. Yeah. So anyway, but yeah, he's but anyway, he's he's a, he's a great fit in, in this yeah. film. He he is a really good fit, yeah. and so is Craig Fairbrass. I mean, the cast is great. Uh, I mean, for a British for a British movie that's essentially sort of a DTV low budget kind of thing, you know, to get people like Thomas Turgus and, and that and Craig Fairbrass, you know, involved as well as Atkins, yeah. that's that's a solid that's a solid lineup. And again, Jesse Johnson sort of really coming through. With fantastic casting. Yeah, and now speaking of fantastic casting, um, someone who, who possibly gets overlooked, it's um, Kirsten Waring who plays Bez, the um, the landlady of the pub. Oh, yeah. She is awesome. You know, um, I, I can almost imagine in the casting notes they had something like, you know, in sort of shorthand, something along the lines of, um, has to appear to, to have um, run the old Vic during the 70s or something like that. You know, it's, <laughs> But, um, well, got, did you notice the sort of Queen Vic uh, statue? Yes, on yeah. the bar. Yeah, but she, yeah, she, she is as hard as nails. You know, there's one point she sort of looks at him and goes, "This isn't the first time I've had a shotgun pointed at me." I think, for fuck's sake, you know. She, um, but she, she's like, yeah, this, this guy's invading my gaff, you know, and all this sort of stuff, and um, she's doing her best to sort of undermine him as much as possible. It's, it's just a great little performance uh, behind the bar. There's all sort of moments where you sort of forget that she's there, and then she sort of comes in again and sort of you know does something amazing, really, to sort of keep the keep the um, the thing going. It's just really cool. Um, yeah, you've also the other. There's there's not a lot of female presence in the film, and no. it's not it's it's good because it, it's um, um not that there's not a lot of female presence, but a lot of these British gangster movies, the women are there to be ogled, hmm. uh, aren't they? It's it's exploitative kind of thing. If you look at so we'll compare this film to El Gringo, for example. There was a lot of objectification in that film of the female characters, yeah. and you would kind of expect that in a British gangster movie, you know, like a, let's say Rise of the Foot Soldier and that kind of stuff. Is they do that quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, this film has two mature, you know, mature women who you have a lot of respect for. Yeah. Uh, one of them is lay behind the bar, who's kind of been there, done that, seen it all. You know, you're not going to intimidate her. And then there's uh, Kane Burgess's mum. Yep. who's just a, a very fragile, um, you know, good lady hmm. who's got just these uh, sort of tearaways as, uh, as, as, as kids. Um, and Scott Atkins' is, is character, Kane, is, is not actually that much of a tearaway. He's kind of, he, when he when the flashbacks of uh, when it's unfolding, you know, we realise yeah. he, he's typical Scott Atkins, kind of fresh-faced. He just wants to open a, a gymnasium yeah. and stuff, a bit like in uh, like The Debt Collector or something. And... Uh, Things just aren't going his way, and he just wants some help, and uh, he gets in over his head, and things just spiral in the worst way. Uh, and yeah, the, so the, the so if we can move on to the action, yeah. So a lot of a lot of it is multiple scenes edited together in sort of montages of uh, prison violence. Yeah. So we get lots. Yeah, lots of intense uh, conflicts of you know people coming at him, and he doesn't know why. He says, to say, "He's like, why? Why? Well, I'm just trying to do my five years or whatever, and they're they're just um they're just trying to get me." And so his sentence keeps getting getting extended. Yeah, that's sort through of running, all these. That's um, the sort of the black humour, isn't it? So the running yeah. joke is this uh, sort of clueless um, sort of governor just adding years to his sentence. Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> it's, like, it's like he has to again. It's kind of 
touches on that kind of Yuri Boyka thing. Of, he has to kind of lose himself in the violence mm. in order to survive. Like, he has to go to that dark place and stay there to protect himself. Uh, and yeah, there's, but, a, there's a good line in it, isn't there? Where he says like, "I had to become like a hardened, rusty nail." Yes, yeah. I like that line as well. Yeah, it was really good. The script's really good. Um, it's very, it's very British, but I, I, I hope it'll have international yeah. appeal. And I think it's, you know, it's it's got it's great because it's got that kind of it's a British gangster movie in in that kind of Hereford films or whatever kind of way that I think people will enjoy. I think you know fans of those kind of uh, bonded by blood and, and whatever they are, you know, all, all the uh, rise of the foot soldiers and that will get a lot out of it as a, as a gangster film. But I think they'll also be blown away by the action because this, you don't see martial arts action in, in gangster movies. No, that's right. And it is, you know, it's, it's not sort of big flourishy action. Like in, for example, triple threat, you know, it is very grounded um, sort of the work they do. Um, and the thing about Scott, he's got a brilliant one-two punch. You know, he's so quick with his punches. Both fists are lethal, basically. And he just uses them to such great, you know, he's got such great technique in these fight scenes. Um, yeah, they're just really, really good. Really enjoy watching him work. <laughs> and the and not not least in the last act of the, the last, basically, the the a big action scene at the end of the film because it yeah. really kicks off big time in the pub. Mm. Uh, and I, I love the fact that even Thomas Turgo's character, who's like a bit of a Weasley, yeah. he's like the Weasley character. He actually does, does try on with, with Kane Burgess. Yeah, he has a go. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was quite cool. <laughs> and um, yeah, so the, the, the whole cast do so well with the film yeah. and I thought the structure works really well. The, the whole flashback, um, approach in, 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 similar to what they've seen in a couple of other films. Just, I, um, actually, yeah, I, was, I was kind of surprised. There's, there's a great moment in the film when you suddenly realise that you know this isn't all happening on one day. Um, you know, when, when he breaks out of prison or, or you know he breaks out of the hospital sort of thing, um, and then he turns out of the pub. There's a difference of about sort of two or three days in between. And he's been setting things up in the meantime, and it's it's got a bit of a, you know, quite loosely sort of a um, Count of Monte Cristo feel to it, you know, where, where he's been doing stuff behind the scenes to sort of, you know, to set his brother up, which which I really liked as well. Yeah, and it's uh, again, it's the way the story unfolds. It's um, it's brilliantly done, and uh, another high for Atkins. I, I, I touched on it. I think I mentioned earlier about how great Atkins is at playing bad guys, hmm. as, as you know, and possibly better than he is at playing heroes. And the best, his best characters that he's played, his best performances, are those where he gets to be a bit of both. Yeah. And in this one, he's probably the most villainous a hero can be. <laughs> because well, he's yeah, like, absolutely. He's, 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 he's like, merciless, isn't he? He's I mean, full on. Yeah. And, I mean, anyone who uh, gets know, in his way is, is, is a fair game, basically. And the bad guy and, you know, the people he's going after, they're not innocents. Mm. You know, they are, they are bad guys. So he's, he's, you know, you can still side with him even when he does some absolutely horrendous stuff. Um, There's a scene because, where, um, the second scene with his mum, because the first scene with his mum is, is shortly after he's, he's gone into prison. Yeah. And he's demanding to see his brother and that sort of thing. 
when when she finally gets to see him again, it turns out that she's been to see him lots of times when he's been in bloody solitary because yeah, of what's yeah. been going on. But um, there's a look on his face, you know, he, he he can sort of see the guilt on his face, you know, because he's all scarred and everything now, and he doesn't want to upset his mum. But you know, um, it, it's it's a really sort of delicate moment. I won't say gentle moment. It's a sort of very fragile moment. Um, so, you know, uh, it's um, yeah, just great. His whole persona when he's in the pub, you know, he, he's all hunched over. He's he's got those teeth, which are all sort of, you know, which just give him this sort of weird, almost like um, a vagrant look, you know, <laughs> and that sort of stupid fur coat that he's wearing as well. Cause he oh, he does he does steal the the coat and that from yeah. a man in the pub, in that's a right, toilet, yeah. whatever. So that's probably one case where he hurt somebody innocent, <laughs> but uh, we kind of sort of look past that a bit we hope he didn't hurt him too badly but um <laughs> you know he's he's a he's a very rough customer uh let's, let's say that much but uh yeah adkins is you know really at the top of his game uh and you know his acting is you know better than ever and his you know uh uh you know fighting uh, choreography and mm. you know physical uh, you know physical abilities and whatever uh you know are showing themselves and I just can't wait to see what's next for, you know, cause I don't, I don't know what their next, what his next project. I mean, this was the fourth project that he's done with or fifth with, um, think, yeah. with, uh, uh, Jesse Johnson. I, I still, the one I still haven't seen is Savage Dog, which was the first one they did together. Yeah. So I need to catch up on that. Bag. that is, uh, there's definitely half a good film there. But, um, again, so, you know, certain directorial choices don't work, unfortunately. Um, who did the choreography for this one? That was uh, Dan Styles. Oh yeah, that was it. Yeah. Who so I'm not, I'm not really familiar with. Yeah. Um, certain names sort of keep popping up. You know, sort of Matt Rutledge, um, sort of turned up. Uh, Bo Fowler, who we mentioned, who was yeah. in uh, the short um, Express Delivery. Mark Strange, who was in uh, uh, Ross Byask's first film, um, Ten Dead Men. Amongst others, you know, um, it's, it's good to see these guys sort of getting some some decent screen time now. You know, um, now something I do want to mention is the um, the score for this because mm-hmm. it it really does fly in the face of I don't know of contemporary films. It, it is very much, you know, it's this sort of string quartets kind of score, uh, very elegiac, and it's sort of I don't know, it puts you in a mood of those sort of uh, 70s films. You know, it's almost like the Sweeney or the Long Good Friday or something like that, you know. Or even to a certain extent, sort of flavour of like a horror kind of movie. Yeah. Um, the, um, the, I, I seem to remember the theme being a bit, uh, what do you call it, uh, repetitive. Yeah. Uh, sort of going, going on a bit. And I didn't, I didn't think the music was... It, it, one of the film's particular strengths no, myself. It, it, it contrasts a lot with the film. You know, it, it almost feels like it belongs somewhere else. You know, um, yeah, it, it's, it's just weird. It's just a weird sort of like choice, but yeah, it, it, it just makes it. Now, there's one actor we we both really like, and we haven't mentioned him yet. Oh, um, is it Rosso Hennessy? Nope. Ah, well, Rosso Hennessy's in this as well. I forgot to mention him, so he's really good, boyo. Yeah. Oh yes, he is really good in it. Uh, no, um, his boss. Oh yes, yeah, that was a that was a surprise. And when I saw his name in the credits, uh, yeah. 
I wasn't expecting that at all, and uh, I thought he was pretty good. You know, he was very good. Yeah. So Lewis Mandelor's in this as um, a detective who's who's on the case basically. I think he's in, I think he's act, he's he's using his Australian accent. He is using yeah. his Australian accent. In this he doesn't seem to be trying to be English in no. it. No, he's, he's he's just being Australian. Yeah. Um, but he does. He's the one who sort of lays out the um, you know, the the strategy that. Um, Lincoln uses for his gang, and it's, it's actually quite similar to um, what's that film with uh, Colin Farrell and Keira Knightley? Is London Fields something like that? That's, right. a, he, that's quite a recent one. That's Amber uh, Amber Heard. London Fields, I think. No, it's uh, L- London Boulevard. Oh, London Boulevard. I didn't see that one. Sorry. With um, oh, what's his name? Uh, British actor. Yeah. Was... I think it was Colin Farrell. Yeah, Colin Farrell was was the sort of good guy, as it were, but um, the bad guy was played by, oh, God, the guy from Sexy Beast. Uh, Ray Winston? Ray Winston, yeah, he's a nasty fucker in that. But he his gang do something similar, where they sort of like nick people's houses after getting them into lots of debt and sort of, you know, that sort of thing. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, just made me laugh. Um, now uh, on the on the stunt team for um, Avengement is a f- friend of mine, funny enough, uh, Mike Fury. Yeah, I just noticed that. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I did I did know that ahead of time, but I just had it confirmed in the credits. Um, yeah, so I need to sort of, sort of chat with him about how how he got on. But uh, yeah, so this is it's it's a stellar piece of work both for Jesse Johnson and for Scott Atkins. It's a great acting performance. It's a great action performance as well. Um, so you get, it's a transformation that takes yeah, place. Absolutely. You know, in if we say, if, so I'll, I'll contrast this again with El Gringo. Mm. In although you learn things about his character in that film, uh, he is essentially the same character all the way through. Mm. Uh, in this one, Adkins, you know, we meet him as one way, then we go back and we see him a different way, and then we see how he got from one to the other. Uh, and there's a lot of the whole film is about him how he transformed from. You know, the meek to the mighty, uh, you could say, you know, it's just like to be uh, an unstoppable force uh, that nobody could have realized that they would have to reckon with. Uh, and it's, you know, it's brilliant. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's completely different to something like Accident Man or, or, yeah. the, or the Debt Collector and, and just further evidence of what great range Scott Adkins has, as well as a fantastically commanding presence. Yeah, because all these films that he does, he, you know, he literally plays a different character every time. You know, he, he can never sort of. You never could sort of point a finger at him and sort of say, yeah, yeah, he's just like, yeah, same as all his other bloody films. You know, I mean, for better or worse, you could say that about Jean-Claude Van Damme. You could say it about Steven Seagal, you know, um, to a certain degree. But no, this guy puts in a proper different performance every single time. If I was going to compare this to one of Adkins' earlier movies, because this is one of only a few where he's actually played an English character. Mm. Uh, um, uh, in luckily in uh, Triple Threat he got to be English as well which works really well yeah. The um, it would be Green Street 3 uh, directed by James Nunn mm. which was probably when um, Atkins sort of first starred in a British movie uh, and that's kind of you know got similar aspects it's you know sort of set in that sort of thuggy world uh, and there's the, the, the gangs in the bars and everything uh, and I would say you know if you want to get a sort of a flavour of you know, Adkins uh, as a as an actor. You know, maybe check those two movies out, uh, and also you know then maybe move on to you know things like Accident Man and uh, mm. and Debt Collector because you know th- there's a whole 
you know, fantastic range of, of, of films, you know, and, and especially worth checking out some of the stuff he's supported in as well, like yep. um, like the uh, the tournament and stuff. The like tournament that. for sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, he gets, you know, he gets like snippets of um, sort of big budget films, you know, like he's in Criminal with um, uh, Kevin Costner, he was in um, the Grimsby Brothers with. Um, Did he fight in that? Hmm? No, it was, it was like an assassin or something. Oh, okay. Because I don't want to watch that film because it's just all vulgar comedy and stuff, so yeah, I'm not going to watch it. But the uh, but he was his probably most high profile sort of fighting role that he's had was in Doctor Strange, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. I actually thought that was pretty cool. Yes, it was actually. I, I just I just again I hated the, the the photography. I hated the you know the the way the, the filming moves, the editing. It was awful. Um, both him and Zara Pythian, you know, could 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 have made something a bit more of it, if if, if uh, especially since you know, especially with Zara Pythian, I just want to sort of, sort of segue, but you know, I've seen like behind the scenes footage of like her sort of pre green screen when they were sort of doing like the whole choreography and stuff, absolutely amazing stuff. But what you actually see in the film is you know doesn't hold a candle to it because it's all chopped up and yeah. spun around and all the rest of it. Uh, Anyway, that's so, too, all too often the case, isn't yeah. it? Um, well, talking of a green screen in this one, of course. <laughs> uh, going back to this one, did you see that at the very end of the film, after the credits, we get an extra scene? No, I didn't get that far. Unless I might have turned it off beforehand. Well, it's not an extra scene. Right. It's it's an extended scene, like a deleted scene. So it's really yeah. weird. It's like a it's like a bonus feature kind of thing, and they've stuck it on the end, and it doesn't fit because it's it's not giving you any more than what you already got from the previous scene. Otherwise, other than that, it's a bit longer and it, yeah. it's all, it doesn't end on any sort of humorous or triumphant note. It's just kind of, it's <laughs> one, it's there. another one of those. Yeah. It's just kind of, they bunged it on at the end. It's very strange. It's like an alternate, an alternate, you know, idea. when he's talking to that, when he's uh, being reprimanded and they're going, Oh, we're going to give you two more years or, yeah. or whatever. It's, it's one of those scenes all right. with a few more bits of dialogue in between that they'd obviously cut down. Yeah. And then it kind of ends with the the guy in, on his desk, you know, sitting at his desk, and um, Atkins has been taken out of the room, yeah. and he just kind of goes, or, mm, sort of huffs you know, <laughs> a little bit, you know, uh, as he as he does. But it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It's not it's not like you get some sort of payoff. It's uh, there's there's no pay. It's it's just a, 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 an extended scene that they've chucked on at the end, which has no satisfying, or you know, or I didn't see that coming kind of payoff. It's just there. So that's really weird. <laughs> I don't know why they did that, but um, yeah, apart apart from that oddity, it's uh, it's a flawless film, which I'm going to give eight out of ten. Yep, I think I'm going to give it. An... I've now watched it twice, so twice in the space of a week. So I think I'm going to give it a nine. Nine. Mm, definitely a nine. So a nine and an eight for Avengement. Go check this out. It's it's on. Um, on demand at the moment, I believe. And, and DVD, it's on it DVD as well. DVD on the 6th of July. Yeah, it's probably out by the time you're listening to this, it by should the time be out. Listen to this, it should be out. Yeah, I got mine in order, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely check out Avengement. Um, but, you know, if, if you're squeamish of the dentist, be warned. Yeah, just be careful when that scene goes. Basically, as soon as he goes to prison for the first time, yeah. uh, just be wary. Just fight scene, just <laughs> the way it ends is a bit nasty. And it gets sort of flashbacked for um, a later point as well. Yeah, nasty stuff.
it's the last part of the show, so it's time for the washing up. And for once, I'm going to get my hands dirty to begin with. Um, I'm going to talk about a film called The Captor, which is um, just going on limited cinema release at the moment, uh, but due to come out onto streaming and uh, DVD very shortly. I think it's been simultaneously released uh, on there. It's another signature entertainment release. They do that quite a lot. They do, uh, yeah. It's interesting, so. actually. Uh, was it last week? I, I watched about four or five different films, and they, and they all turned out to be released by Signature Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> they seem to have um, quite a big uh, repertoire at the moment. Anyway, The Captor. Um, I didn't know anything about this film going into it, but it stars uh, Ethan Hawke as a bank robber. This is set in Stockholm in uh, 1973. Um, and he's a bank robber who goes into a bank and uh, takes the staff hostage and demands the release of another um, bank robber called Gunnar, and, um, played by Mark Strong. And the two of them end up sort of laying siege to this, uh, this bank, or, or rather the police are laying siege outside with the media. And inside um, they have these three um, members of staff, one of whom is played by Numi Rapace, or Rapace, whatever, how you pronounce her name. And this is where the term Stockholm Syndrome was first coined. Uh, it's, mm. a, it's based on a true story. And it is really, really, really good. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, <coughs> it's it's one of those films, it, it's, it's got a sort of farcical element to it, but at the same time, it's got a lot of tension because you're thinking, how the hell is anyone going to get out of this alive? You know, it, It's one of those cases where they said, right, we want a car out the front of the, um, the bank, and you know, you've got to let us go, and they're like, yeah, sure you will. You know, um, <laughs> but it, it's it's really well done. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. If anyone sort of watched the um, the series on Netflix called Money Heist, this is like um, the sort of the true life version of that kind of thing. Is that um, a Spanish? Sorry. Yeah, a Spanish one. Yeah, yeah which, which just went on too long, basically. But the setup's kind of similar. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a really good film. Um, directed by Robert Boudreaux, somebody I'm not particularly familiar with. Uh, but this is actually produced by um, Bloomhouse, who right, you know, okay, yeah. normally do sort of horror movies, you know, sort of things like the um, uh, Insidious and all, all those sort of Halloween. Things. Halloween, yeah. And that. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to check it out, it's called The Captor. Um, it's also known as Stockholm, that's its proper title. God knows why they changed it to The Captor. It makes it sound like it's a, some sort of kidnapping kind of thing, you know, but yeah. it's, it's all set inside the bank, basically. There's a, there's a great performance as well by um, Christopher Heyerdahl, is the um, chief of police, who, um, you know, he just totally misreads the situation. He, he's actually quite funny in it. It sort of gives it a sort of a bit of a Basil Fawlty sort of um, sort of feel at times. But, <laughs> yeah, re- really enjoyed it. Definitely definitely worth checking out. It's, it's um, available now. Right. And um, what else have we got? Well, there's quite a few uh, that you might have come across. Uh, we're going to start with. What's described as the true story of the Battle of Hurtgen Forest. It's called Alone We Fight. Yeah, this looks not terrible, I have to say. Um, production values look pretty decent for this. So, like, you know, based on a true story, um, so this is about a very, a very small band of army rangers who tried to hold off a, a German advance in the middle of this forest. And, yeah, the production values are pretty decent for this sort of, you know, level of film. We've got Corbin Burnson front and centre in this one, mm-hmm. which is uh, pretty cool. I like Corbin Burnson. He's uh, 
I, I, was, I used to watch them on LA Law and uh, The Dentist <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you don't, you know, he's been around for a long time, but it's quite interesting to see him sort of play a, a grizzled uh, soldier character. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, from the from the cover, I'm taking it that he's like the leader of the group, but uh, I, that may be wrong. I'm yeah, sure. I think he's the sort of commander mm-hmm. who basically allows them to stay behind or something. Okay. Uh, it's grounded in authenticity, says that moment. That moment in, according so, on the cover. So yeah, they basically managed to borrow some proper pieces of kit, you know, sort of like armored personnel vehicles and things like that, and, and the explosions look pretty decent. The next film is described by IndieWire on the front cover as one of the best survival movies ever made. It's Arctic, starring Mads Mikkelsen. Hmm. It's interesting. This came out more or less the same time as Polar. You know, uh, yes, it did. Starring as Mads Mikkelsen. And I must admit, at first I got the two mixed up You know, when we were looking to review. I ended up looking at the trailer for this one. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is this looks pretty solid. You know, um, almost. Is this a one-man show? I think it's more or less a one-man one man against the elements kind of kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, not exactly my cup of tea, but you know, I'm sure a lot of people get something out of it. We previously mentioned uh, Signature. I think this was one of this is one of theirs. Uh, it had a it was previously a, a like the cat, so it was a, a limited theatrical release uh, to sort of raise the profile of its uh, VOD availability. So uh, yeah, it's taken a, a couple of months. So I expect the Captor will probably be out on DVD in a, in a couple of months as well. So yeah, this one is. Uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen's always good. Uh, Absolutely. So, um, I've looked a little bit at some of the scenes for this, so it looks very well shot. Uh, you know, high quality, and uh, yeah. So the the cover has a couple of quotes, like uh, not quotes, but like um, four stars, the Times, and the Guardian. So that's pretty good, which always helps uh, in uh, selling a movie if you can get those uh, reviews on board. Back to War. It's D Day Dog Company, starring mm-hmm. Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, and Western Martin. Cage Coppola. Yeah, and Martin Cove. Ah, well, he's not on the cover, but that's no, a very that's important right. thing to mention. Now, I couldn't find a trailer for this at all. Uh, it was originally um, released as D-Day. And we'll do that in the dog company bit just for us Brits. Um, I think it was just dog company. I think it was the original title. Right. IMDb says it was called D-Day originally. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But anyway, um, I, I think this is not to be confused with another film called... D-Day Assassins. Yeah, which was Andrew Jones' film. Yeah, which is about the the true life Dirty 13. Believe it or not. Uh-huh. I thought that was a joke when I first heard it, but no, apparently there really was a unit called the Dirty 13. But there you go. Um, yeah, so, so unfortunately I can't, I can't sort of say whether this is a, you know, as good as a, um, Alone We Stand, or whatever it's called. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sold by the cover. It just looks a bit of a, a bit, a bit of a, yeah. bit of a tacky cover. I can't, I can't expect, I'm not expecting high production values from this one. No. Wasn't Randy Couture previously in that um, uh, Dolph Lundgren war film, Pig, uh, War Pigs? War Pigs, possibly. Uh, one him or Chuck Liddell, I think. Yeah, he was in that one with um, Michael J. White recently and um, uh, Luke Goss. The I forgot what it's called. Oh, on Netflix. Yeah. Yes, the, thing uh, the hard way. Yes, sir, yeah. yeah. Um, those rifles just look like they've been placed at random, don't they, on that cover? <laughs> it's like, cool. just not to, not to the right 
dimensions or That's, size. Yeah, and just, it's a good point. <laughs> just pointed in all sorts of directions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, so we're, we're going back to the old west now with uh, a film that was originally called Hyde Park, funnily enough. Indeed, yes. Uh, but now it's known as, I think it was also called... Uh, Dead Man Standing. Dead Man Standing, and now it's known as Dead Man Redemption. Yeah, I wonder what they're trying to cash in on. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, C. Thomas Howell. Um, it's funny, when I saw the name C. Thomas Howell and I saw the trailer, I'm going, oh, that must be him, the young guy. And, of course, no, that was that would have been like 30 years ago, him yeah. playing the young guy. No, he's the grizzled old guy now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah this actually doesn't look terrible. It's, it, apparently it's based on a true story. The trailer is fucking awful for this um, because you know how they have, like... Um, so, some words will come up on the screen, you know, to sort of sell a point or something. A little tagline will come up. Uh, this one narrates the taglines. Right. You know, so it'll come up saying, based on a true story. And the voice is coming around, based on a true story. And sort of things like this. One man will stand. And, yeah, all that. Um, yeah, it doesn't look terrible, though. Okay, so the next one is... It was originally called The Poison Rose. Hmm. But it's coming out here as Eye for an Eye. I and really it stars John Travolta and Morgan Freeman. I actually really want to see this. It's a yeah, it's a hard-boiled detective story where um, John Travolta is trying to figure out what has happened to his ex-wife's daughter, um, who's been implicated in the murder of her um, boyfriend, who's like the um, quarterback at the local college or high school. And Morgan Freeman is playing the sort of the Mister Big behind. You know, he, he's basically the that guy in. Um, uh, Roadhouse, you know, um, sort of rich white guy. Oh yeah, he, he, he's yeah. playing that sort of character basically, the one who sort of controls the town and everything, and everything within it. Um, but yeah, this this looks pretty decent. You know, I, I love that sort of gumshoe kind of story. So yeah, gonna check this one out. And we got uh, Brendan Fraser in this one as well, and oh, Peter Stormare. He looks fat. He, <laughs> yeah, he is fat now. Yeah. And and Famke Janssen. Famke Janssen and Peter yeah, what about, um, Ella Blue Travolta? Is that one of his daughters, do you think? I think it must be, yeah. Yeah, I don't, don't really know. So the interesting thing about this one is they, they, the origin, it was originally called The Poison Rose, and what they've done is they've made it look like more of an action movie. Yeah. Uh, and the, if you look at the original poster for The Poison Rose, it's two headshots, basically, side by side. Hmm. And what I think they've done is they've taken those heads and they've put them on the bodies of men holding guns <laughs> so so that the uh but they've made it look so it'd be interesting to see if, if Travolta even wears that jacket in the movie <laughs> indeed uh, yeah it's almost like they've both been put on the body of uh, Jason Statham isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well Jason Statham and, and Daniel Craig maybe I don't know yeah very strange but next um, up having said I want to see it Next up is a uh, one of the prestige DTV movies. It's going to say it's one of these uh, uh, day and date releases. So it came out on VOD Curzon, and in so cinemas. Yeah. Uh, called Curzon, yeah. Uh, this one is all about uh, Silvio Berlusconi. It's called Loro. Indeed, this could be the Italian version of The Wolf of Wall Street. It looks incredibly sumptuous. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd be if if I had my you know 4K TV and 4K sort of DVD player, I, I would turn the sound off and just have this playing on the background as a piece of art, you know, because it, it just looks so sumptuous. 
you know, scenes of parties and things and the villas with the infinity pools and the light shining off it. It just looks absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, it's, it, it looks crazy, but, but yes. very beautiful to look at. Yeah, it's the, uh, the director of Paolo Sorrentino, I think, is quite acclaimed for his visual style. So mm. He's made the, the previous, it says from the Oscar winning director of The Great Beauty. Uh, so, um, we, you, you can, you know, judge the standard that you're going to get from this. So, Bellasconi is a very interesting character to yeah, focus on. Yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite, key, uh, quite curious about that one mm. myself, uh, as I am about Monster Island from the Asylum. Which uh, has I've it's uh, the cover art has been completely changed from what it was originally mm. the original poster design to make it look more like the poster for Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters. Mm. So they've gone for the real blue kind of look to it, and uh, they've stuck a lo- like a montage of all the different creatures on the front. Uh, so I'm sure the film itself will be horrendously disappointing, but uh, I do like that poster. I do like that cover. I like the cover. I, I must admit, I like the trailer. Um... Eric Roberts is in this one, I think. The monsters don't look too bad in this. You know, um, yeah, I'd I'd be willing to review this on the show. Are we in Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus kind of territory, or do you think this is a. a Do you think things are a bit better now? I think things are a bit more budget friendly these days, a a few more effect shots and things. Um, Yeah, definitely worth a look, I think. Uh, We talked about this next one. in our last episode, in the coming soon section, it's the fifth episode in the Robert franchise from Welsh filmmaker Andrew Jones. It's Robert Reborn. See that cover? You know, having seen the trailer, that cover is so misrepresentative, isn't it? Considering we, we well, I mean, we reckon the film is set more or less all on an airplane. Yeah, or at least way to good Moscow, part of it. You know, um, I think the original artwork, uh, which uh, you can see on IMDb and that, and is. Uh, it's basically like Robert standing with like the other two. So in, here on this cover, we've got like paintings mm. of the other puppets for some reason, uh, and uh, in the other one, it's kind of him and the sort of the gang. It's like he's got he's. It says Robert's back, and this time he has company. Uh, so I've not seen any of them previously, but I'm guessing in all the other four, it was just about Robert, and in this one, we get much more of a puppet master kind of ensemble uh, happening, so which mm. is more interesting. For me, and uh, say from the trailer that we watched, uh, I did quite like the uh, whole puppets on a plane stuff. Yep. Back to the asylum. Uh, they've got a second release. Uh, a, 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 I think it pretty much came out the same week. Uh, this is San Andreas Megaquake, not to be confused with San Andreas Quake, hmm. which I think this is the sequel to. See, you know, if, if, if only they changed that to Maga Quake. And this would have been the perfect um, satirical allegory of the Trump campaign. Because you have the, the you know, um, San Andreas has been affected by um, a terrible earthquake. So, so what is the scientist's solution in this one, Rich? Get a big fucking gun and blow up the, um, the, the earthquake. That'll teach it. <laughs> the only way to stop an earthquake is a good guy with an earthquake machine gun. It's it's um, crazy, is what it is. Looks makes incredibly me to, cheap. Makes me want to watch the core. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, you still have to check out the quake, so we can review that at some point. Indeed, we will be definitely covering that in a future episode. Uh, moving on, we have 
uh, a Sky Cinema original. So this was on available to Sky Cinema subscribers as well as being theatrically released at the same time. Uh, now it's on DVD. It's directed by Stephen Knight uh, and stars Matthew McConaughey and Anne Hathaway. Serenity. Yeah, I've heard things about this. I haven't seen it yet. Um, but apparently the plot is batshit crazy. I've heard it's sci-fi. Yeah, it's, it's, it's which is not what I got from the cover because exactly. I thought this was like nineties thriller, almost like Dead Calm or something like yeah. that. Yeah, you know? or yeah, definitely like that or a Weight hand of water or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, not, it not... goes completely off the rails. So yeah, we'll, I will check that one out soon. Uh, next, we have the Angel of Auschwitz, which is mm-hmm. from the same people who brought us the Guard of Auschwitz. So I checked out the trailer for this earlier, and I think it's a very well-meaning film. It's a very well, very well put together dramatization. Um, but I shall not be touching this with a barge pole because I find any film to do with Auschwitz or any of the other concentration camps incredibly abhorrent. Um, and yeah, I, I just steer clear of them. Together. Abhorrent in what way? Sort of exploitative, or uh... Uh, it's difficult to say. I, I just, I just find it incredibly horrific, and, and you know, because it's so real to life, it is no. I, I just can't. I, I can't watch Schindler's List. Uh huh. But you're not adverse to films oh, no, not... like this, well-intentioned films like this, no, exactly. raising awareness of this stuff actually Absolutely happening. Not, no, not at all. Um, it's, it's just not me. I, I think you know. Unfortunately, at one point I watched, um, was it Last Orgy of the, the SS? Which was oh, right. One, yeah. of, one of the really exploitative ones. And that yeah. Gets, that gets pretty nasty. Um, it, it's kind of like a counterpoint to uh, The Night Porter, that one. But um, anyway, um, yeah, so I watched the trailer. Um, and I think the other thing as well, when, when I was younger, I was subjected to watching a, a film about concentration camps. Uh, it was, it was like a religious film because uh, they used to be part of this sort of religious youth group, and they oh. sort of sat us down and made us watch this film once, and I was like, "Oh God, no! This is so horrific." But, um, you were yeah. in a religious youth group. I was, yeah. Believe what? Because what? By choice or by family requirement? Or it was kind of by choice. Yeah, yeah. Sort of formative oh. teen years was uh, involved in, in this sort of youth group thing, and. Uh, until I discovered alcohol, and then uh, <laughs> something else with my Sunday nights. <laughs> Moving on. Yes. Uh, now, here is a name I don't often expect to see in the world of DTV. Johnny Depp. Yeah. So his latest film, The Professor, has gone. Is gone. You know, has gone direct to mm. DVD, possibly due to you know accusations and stuff that have been uh, flying around about him. Uh, but uh, it's interesting. I, I looked at that cover, and I'm thinking in. DTV terms. I'm looking at that cover and I'm thinking, right, so this is a guy who, you know, possibly has been accused of a murder, you know, that he didn't commit or something. He has to sort of prove his innocence. But no, this is sort of the the sort of crap that bloody um, Robin Williams was doing, you know, in his twilight years. No, thank you. Yeah, I haven't watched the trailer. I mean, is, is this Johnny Depp doing comedy, like a Mordecai kind of thing again? Kind of. What this is. No, more Dead Poet Society. So, oh, okay. So this is, um, he, he plays a college professor who discovers that he's got terminal cancer. 
he's got like six months to live. So rather than sort of do chemo and all the rest of that shit, he just thinks I'm just going to live my life how I want and teach my students about living life the way they should want and all the rest of it and, and screw the faculty and I'm just going to upset everyone. And it's all very whimsical and twee and, you know, people seem to be giving him a wide margin um, to play with just because he's got cancer, you know. So, so they're very tolerant of his hijinks because they're thinking, well, he's going to be dead in four months anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So the last film to mention is another high-profile Curzon release uh, that was in cinemas a while back as well as uh, available on Curzon On Demand uh, for a premium fee. Uh, this is Vox Lux starring uh, Natalie Portman and Jude Law and featuring songs by Sia, I believe. Yeah. So I imagine they were hoping for something along the lines of Black Swan for this, weren't they? Um, I, this has to be seen. This has to be seen. For whatever whatever it is, it has to be seen. <laughs> you know, on, on a sort of pure visual level, I think it looks great. Um, but, it, you know, this could be, it could be Black Swan great or it could be Showgirls great. If, you know, if right. it's, it's that sort of thing. It, it, it could swing either way. Um, who directed this one? Brady Corbett, uh, who I'm not familiar with. No. I'm just having a quick look to see what Brady Corbett. Written and directed by Brady Corbett, yeah. who has done previously uh, a film called The Childhood of a Leader. So, I mean, for me, th- this sort of comes across somewhere between Black Swan meets Showgirls meets Neon Demon. Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah, um, but I, I would love to see it, I must admit. God knows what it actually is. <laughs> um, but it would be interesting to find out, especially with beers. <laughs> so there we are. That's the washing up all done, mate. <laughs> Indeedy. Don't drop any of those plates. So thank you very much, uh, Rich, for helping with the washing up and uh, joining me on this episode where we look at the career or some of the latest films of Scott Atkins. Uh, long may he reign as the king of DTV, um, maybe sort of push even into the uh, in, in, even further into the mainstream. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you, thank you for listening, everyone, and uh, join us on our next episode. Listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.